0: Today, we're going to be talking about, we're going back into our conversation or going back into the Brian Koberger case, and we're going to be going through uh, the White Elantra and basically the uh, homicide updates that Moscow Police Department were releasing and and see if there was any inconsistencies of what they were saying back then with what we know now. You know, there's a lot of people that have said a lot of different things, like from, you know, the the time that the incident occurred was between 3 and 4 a.m., you know, we're going to look at when was that declared and, you know, when was that changed? When were some people suspects and when weren't they suspects? Things like that. So unfortunately, the Moscow Police Department, they took down or their website, they took down the, the area where you can see all the press releases and everything uh, out. Now, they're still available going through the Internet and finding one PDF after another. And it took me a while, but I found I want to say majority of them and I put them in order to to the best of my ability, and we'll go through them, we'll read them, and we'll talk about it. This is from November 18th, 2022. Moscow, Idaho, the city of Moscow Police Department is providing the following information to update the public on the known facts surrounding the four uh, murders that occurred on November 13th in Moscow, Idaho. On the evening of November 12th, Kaylee, Gonçalves, uh, Madison, Mogan were at a local bar called The Corner Club. Between 10 and 1.30 a.m. November 13th at approximately one forty a.m., Kaylee and Madison were seen on a video at a local food vendor called The Grub Truck. They used a private party for a ride home. And they arrived at the residence at 1.45 a.m. Investigators have determined that Ethan and Zanna Cronoda were seen at the Sigma Chi house. At approximately 1.45 a.m., Ethan and Zanna are believed to have returned to the residence. Now, right there, we have two sets of uh, individuals that went out in two separate er uh, places. They put that they both arrived, you know, at the the same time or approximately. And what that tells me is they're not being very accurate. They're being purposefully vague because you know one of the chances that they both arrive at the at the exact same time from two different places and may not be coordinated. It was previously reported that Ethan resided at the home. However, it's been determined that he was only visiting. Two other roommates were at the residence that night, November 13th, 1158 a.m. Officers responded to the residence after a 911 call reported an unconscious individual. Officers discovered Kaylee Madison, Zanna and Ethan deceased in the residence. Autopsies were conducted over the 17th, so this is the day after the autopsies. Coroner confirmed the identity and their cause and manner of death of homicide by stabbing. Uh, Coroner stated that it is likely that all four victims were likely asleep. Some had defensive wounds. Each was stabbed multiple times. Now, for them to come out there and say that they were likely asleep, uh, there's probably reason for that. Now, we know that there was a latent footprint in front of Dylan's uh, bedroom door. Latent meaning that it wasn't really visible. They had to use Amino Black to bring it up, but they had to test for it. I think uh, we had retired CSI investigator, Steve, on the show not too long ago. And we talked about that footprint and he said there would have been a presumptive test for or a blood presumptive test being conducted and, and things like that to determine if it was blood before they would have just thrown the, the amino black on it. I, I'm not familiar with the entire process. I'm not a CSI investigator like himself, but uh, he said that there was a process for that, you know, from what I understand is that the scenes were contained to the bedrooms and if that ends up being the case, you know, you're not seeing signs of a struggle in the kitchen or on the stairs or blood anywhere in the stairs, in the kitchen, in the living room, in the bathrooms, and it's just contained there, then you would expect the victims probably were, were in their bedroom when they were attacked. Now, if none of them have any type of DNA or anything like that under their fingernails or on their knuckles, there's no hair or anything like that you know, on the bodies, then one would believe that there wasn't much of a struggle. Now, defensive wounds can be anything from... Having DNA under the fingernails from scratching and clawing back at at an assailant. Um, But it also could be just as merely as just putting their arms in the way like such. It doesn't specify what kind of defensive wounds they are. So we shouldn't jump to conclusions on that. Yeah, and I just said the defensive wounds can be anything from... You know, um, grabbing the knife. If somebody grabbed the knife and their hand got cut, that would be considered a defensive wound. You know, a defensive wound doesn't necessarily mean that the person getting attacked actually hit or struck. The person that is attacking them, it just means that they made moves that were considered defensive. Blocking would be considered defensive. There was no sign of sexual assault. Detectives do not believe that the two surviving roommates, the male in the Grub Troke video, are involved. Online reports of victims being tied and gagged are not accurate. The identity of the 911 caller has not been released. Detectives seized contents of three dumpsters on King Road to locate possible evidence. Detectives have contacted local businesses to determine if a fixed blade knife has been recently purchased. So again, right away, they're looking for a fixed blade knife. So they had the knife sheath, so they were aware of that at this time. You know, Right now, it says that at this time released, detectives have received nearly 500 tips, which are being processed, investigated, and cleared. 38 interviews have been conducted with individuals who may have informed uh, information about the murders. So this is just a few days after the murders have occurred. Hit that like and subscribe button again. All right, so that was November 18th. This is the next day on November 19th. There's a clarification. So the update at 8.28 p.m. So this is updated uh, the next day, but very late in the evening. The cell phone used to call 911 belonged to one of the roommates. Just the ongoing investigation, the identity of the caller has not been released. Moscow Department is providing the following information. So this is the updated information as well. It says, at this time, detectives investigated the private party driver who took Kaylee and Madison home on November 13th and did not believe he is involved in this crime. Detectives believe that on November 12th, the two surviving roommates had been out in the Moscow community separately, but returned home by 1 a.m. The two did not wake up until later, November 13th. Now... They don't say exactly when on November 13th, just later. It is not necessarily a line. It's not necessarily saying that they slept through the attacks. You know what I'm saying? I think that at the time, and I, I you know, everybody, I, including myself is probably guilty of this. And you're getting all this information coming in so quickly and you're trying to get it out so fast. Sometimes we read things one way and then it's really not what it meant. It, it doesn't say that they slept through it. Now, maybe it does say it somewhere else. uh, And I'm, I'm just not seeing that, but I, I haven't seen where it says that they, uh, they slept through it. Initially, the 911 call made at 11.58 a.m. on November 13th, requested aid for an unconscious person. The call was made from inside the residence on one of the roommates' cell phone. Moscow Police Department arrived shortly after there and found all four victims. Moscow detectives are seeking help from the residents and businesses within the area west of Taylor Avenue, west of Paulus River Drive, Highway 95 to Highway 95 South, and back to the Botanical Garden for video surveillance between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Now, I know a lot of folks were saying that there was, you know, the original timeline was three to four, three to four. You know, that's what they're saying, three to four. Well, let's. where did this three to four come from? And, and it did come from somewhere. It's not not real. Uh, this is from the AP, uh, officials of Ford slain University of Idaho students are, are victims. This was at 1014, November 14, 2022. So this is just one day after uh, the murders had occurred. Moscow Police Captain Anthony Dollinger told the Idaho Statements Monday night that none of the deceased students are believed uh, to be responsible for the deaths. Likely, The students likely died between 3 and 4 a.m., but weren't discovered for hours, Teach said. Now, Teach is the mayor. mayor had a press conference, and this is where this 3 to 4 came from. mayor had a press conference where he said that uh, the incident most likely had occurred between 3 and 4 a.m., and this was the day after the incident. So I know they had recovered video, but they haven't gotten all the video yet. I know that there's this weird, big misconception when police walked into the, into the scene that on the table was all the evidence, all the videos, Brian Koberger's name, uh, the DNA, everything right there planned for them. And they just decided to wait for seven weeks to, to do something with it. It's not how it happened. They, they found things out little piece by piece and investigated piece by piece. You know, one day after the incident, what do you have? You have a white vehicle that's driving around pretty weird at around three twenty-six, and that they can probably tell from the next door neighbor's camera, right? And it stops driving around around four, and then at four twenty it's seen, you know, heading out of there. You know, that's not too off between three and four AM. Now, this is the mayor. He's not an investigator, he's not a detective. What information could he have possibly gotten? You know, he probably did go talk to you know, one of the captains of of investigation or or even the chief of police. And, and they probably told him something to the effect that, yeah, you know, we got something, you know, one of the victims is, has an ex-boyfriend that lives down the street. You know, they were seen together earlier that day and she was calling him a few times and, you know, this could be a crime of passion. And, you know, we have this white card traveling around between three and four-ish in the morning. And so when he goes and talks to the press and he says something to that effect, like, yeah, it's a crime of passion, three and four, you know, they quickly walk that back. And that's, some sometimes normal in a case until you get a, a, a suspect, the evidence that's there is, is not a lot. You know, there may not be a lot of evidence at the crime scene. You know, what do we know? They, we know that they use the DNA on the sheath, not the DNA off of anybody's nails or hair or anything like that. So that leads me to believe that if, you know, those things were there, they would have used them. Uh, you can deduce that it didn't exist. And so once you get a, a suspect then you can work backwards from him, and you can get all sorts of evidence. But at this point, you know, one day into it, I'm not sure how much information a mayor would actually know. But they are looking for you know, surveillance between 3 and 6 a.m. And this is as early as November 19th. Next one, this is November 22nd. All right, this is the updated information. Uh, this is just basically saying this first highlighted spot is Talking about the website where you can pull up all of these press conferences. Unfortunately, you click on it, it says no longer exists. And yeah, this is where they talk about a stalker. It says investigators have looked into Kaylee Gonzalez having a stalker. I have not been able to verify or identify the stalker. And there's the, uh, an update on the weapon. That says that there's been much conversation about the terminology used to describe the weapon, the type of knife uh, thought to be used in the attack is believed to be a fixed bladed knife. Detectives continue to look for that weapon. So, I mean, really not saying anything as far as an update there Uh, here, it says detectives believe that on November 12th, the two surviving roommates had also been out of Moscow community separately, but returned to the home by 1 a.m. The two did not wake up till later that morning. So again, nothing saying that they slept through, you know, the incident, you know, this is still fairly early on in the investigation and here they're asking for, video or any observations of suspicious behavior the night of November 12th into the early hours of November 13th while Kaylee Gonzalez and Madison Mogan uh, were in downtown Moscow and when Ethan Chapman and Zana Cronola were at the Sigma Chi house. Anyone who observes suspicious behavior near those areas or has video surveillance are asked to submit their tips. So at this time, uh, this is who have been not necessarily cleared, but who detectives believe uh, are not involved in the crime. Uh, the two surviving roommates the mail and the grub truck surveillance video or the private driver who took Kaylee and Madison home on November 13th. Now I know a lot of people at the time were bringing up that they didn't clear the door dasher. Well, they didn't have to bring out that there was a door dasher uh, because that information was still for the most part private. I don't think anybody knew about that. So if they would have put that out in some sort of presser, then that would have been divulging information that nobody else had. Or So those are the only three uh, that, that have been, cleared at this time. So the mail in the grub truck surveillance video, this is going to be well, who everybody suspects was Jack Showalter. Um, he got cleared pretty quickly. You know, maybe perhaps there's some sort of video or surveillance of him somewhere else uh, during 326 and 420. This is here, uh, the identity of the 911 caller has not been released. Investigators are aware of multiple phone calls uh, from Madison to Kaylee to a male. So that person hasn't been cleared. So Jack Core is still suspect at this time. It says here, victims being tied and gagged are not accurate. Detectives seized contents of dumpsters on King Road to locate possible evidence. Now, I know that perhaps somebody found a black coat out of a, a dumpster and that uh, it was possibly Madison's. I don't know how true that is. I, I know that there was some sort of black piece of clothing that they were looking at. However, you know, if it was involved and it didn't lead to anybody, you know, his arrest, maybe they just found it outside. I mean, how would that end up on Brian Cooper's probable cause affidavit if it didn't point to him, you know, even though it, he... Whoever may have thrown it, if, if it even is involved, it's very well possible that it had nothing to do with the case. Well, somebody else that was visiting the area and dropped it or something. If it was involved, you know, if, if it doesn't, you know, point to Brian Koberger, if it doesn't exonerate him, we're not going to know in the probable cause affidavit. We're not going to know everything that they picked up. Now, is it going to be logged in on evidence and, and the prosecution and the defense team have, you know, that in the file? They, yeah, it should be. Currently, no suspects in custody and no weapon has been located. Uh, this here also talks about the dog. It says, on the morning of the incident, officers located a dog at the residence. The dog was unharmed and turned over to Animal Services, then released to a responsible party. Here, detectives are aware of an incident of a report of a skin dog and have determined it to be unrelated to this incident. So that was a different, separate situation that had occurred. Now they have 600 tips. This is the next day, So This is 10 days a- after the murders. and This is at 630 p.m., so... After the day is ended, it says an updated information at this time. The investigation detectives do not believe that the male Kaylee and Madison attempted to contact numerous times on November 13th is involved in this crime. So it took them 10 days to clear this guy. So they put him through the rigor during that time. You know, it wasn't just like, hey, you know, you're the, uh, the ex-boyfriend. Now um, yeah, we'll talk to you for a few minutes and then we'll swab you and, and and we'll see you later. Nah, from what I understand, when I was talking with Christy Gonsalves, who, you know, very close with with Jack DeCore, Uh, That first day he walked over, like, you know, we've said this multiple times. He was awoken by his roommate, said, hey, something's happened down the street. He walks over there up the up the street and he sees officers there. He walks up to an officer, asks what happened. Um, He identifies himself as a, you know, an ex-boyfriend to somebody uh, that lives in the house. And they tell him that he needs to go with them and escort him down to the police station where they, from what I understand, is he was, you know, answering questions from then, which was, well, let's see. It was after twelve o'clock because police were already there. And it was before one thirty, because that's when Christy said she attempted to make contact with people. That's when she found out that it was possible that her daughter had passed and she began to contact You know, Kaylee, Kaylee and her friends, Maddie, Jack DeCourt and so on and couldn't get anybody to answer. And she said that at that time he was already being questioned. So anywhere between 12 and 130 is around the time he went to the police station. He didn't get out till almost 11, I believe is what I I heard. So he was in there for quite a while you know 10 hours the first day you know he went back a few times he had handed over his phone they forensically went through it he did the dna stuff you know they checked him he took the pictures they checked his body for any scratches or or bruises or anything that would indicate that he was involved in an altercation and there's nothing there you know i know that the victims maybe didn't scratch or hit him back because there's no you know there's no evidence of that but to kill four people in the manner that were were lost takes quite a bit of, you know, physical ability. I mean, that's going to take a toll on the body. The person should be sore, um, red in areas, things like that. If those things didn't show up, don't seem like he's in an altercation. He's moving fine, fluid. It's um, unlikely that he was the person. So it took him 10 days to clear the guy. Now, 6.30 p.m. I find that interesting that it, they, they did it that night. It tells me that, you know, they probably found something or something came back clearing him that day at some time or around that time. And they put it out there. It was probably the DNA on the knife sheet thing come back as a match to him. That's what I'm assuming. Uh, Kaylee, Kaylee mentioned having a stalker, but detectives have made unable to corroborate. The statement investigators are requesting anyone with information about a potential stalker or unusual or unusual instances to have contacted the tip line. So I, I talked to Christy about this so-called stalker. Um, she informed me what had happened. It was Kaylee and Bethany. They were out at a, at a grocery store and they were buying drinks for the evening and that they noticed somebody had followed them uh, from inside the store, outside the store. And when they got to their car, the guy just kind of turned around and walked away. They kind of freaked them out because they saw him in the store, I think, a couple, like in a couple of different areas while they were getting the drinks. Then they saw him when they walked out uh, two guys that were following them or supposedly following them. What they said was basically they were trying to you know, get the phone number, but, you know, they didn't have the nerve uh, to actually walk up. I'll say that based on the description that Christie gave to me uh, about these two guys, neither one of them would fit the vague description that Dylan Mortensen gave about who was in the house that night. Uh, November 27th, about another three days later, they're talking about the university of Idaho is going to be hosting a candlelight uh, vigil on Wednesday, November 30th to honor and memory of Ethan Zanna, Madison and Kaylee. They go on to say that they uh, no time at this time. This hasn't been suspects updated investigation on the evening on the 12th, Kaylee and Maddie were at a local bar called the Corner Club between 1 and uh, 10 and 1.30 a.m. November 13th at approximately one forty, Kaylee and Maddie were seen at a local vendor and grub truck and used a private party for a ride home downtown and arrived at their King Road residence at one fifty-six a.m. Arrival time has been updated based on digital evidence collected by investigators. This is when they changed the time from one forty-five to one fifty-six. Again, you know, still using that 3 to 6 a.m., not you know, three to four uh, November 30th, uh, it says here, there's a clarification. The Poli- Moscow police department is providing the following information to update the public on known facts surrounding the four murders that occurred on November 13th clarification at 7 15 PM uh, conflicting information has been released over the past 24 hours. Latah County prosecutor Officer stated that suspects of his, uh, specifically looked at this residence and that one or more of the occupants were undoubtedly targeted. We have spoken with the Leetown County Pro, County Prosecutor's, Prosecutor's Office and identified this was a miscommunication. Detectives do not currently know if the residents or any occupants were specifically targeted, but continue to investigate. So they walk that back. I've said it multiple times: you, you you follow the evidence, right? They had evidence that you know there was a boyfriend that was broken up down the street. Was there with them at the corner club? They called him. I don't know how many times. You know it, that's usually what it is. You know when you usually have a murder, it's usually you know, nine out of 10 times a person knows the person that took their life, unless it's some sort of like, you know, robbery gone wrong or, or gang related incident. But even in those, and you know, most of the time they know who they, you know, the, the other person is. So this is when they walk back that it was targeted. You know, they say, basically, they don't know if it's the residents or occupants. I think they're also going to say that they think that it could be the residents in this statement as well. And which is kind of like what I've been saying. You know, I've been thinking that it's a, uh, and the residence was the target. Now, obviously, he probably investigated the girls and watched them and things like that. I feel like this was a thrill kill. You know, I think that this was a situation where he wanted to uh, create, you know, a high profile crime as well. You know, and when you have a, a situation where, you know, this guy wants to know what it feels like to take somebody's life and, you know, at the same time, you know, create something that's huge, you know, you go for multiple victims, you know, you go for a house with a lot of people. You know, a house with a lot of people also makes sense because there's a lot of DNA that goes back and forth. A lot of people are going back and forth through there. A college dorm has parties and, you know, the DNA and stuff like that. And you look at the bloody footprint they found. It was a Vans shoe. You know, that's a common footprint amongst college students, male and female. You know, it was very easy for him to hide his presence in in a house like that if correct precautions were taken. This is December 1st, 2022. So here it says detectives are aware of a six person listed on the lease of the residence, but did not believe that individual was present uh, during the incident. Idaho State Police Forensic Crime Lab scientists have worked uh, on this case for weeks and have provided testing and analysis results to detectives as they complete additional tests. Those results will be provided uh, to protect the investigation's integrity. So here, first time they talk about Idaho State Police Forensic Lab working on additional tests. On analysis. So, wait, let's read this again. So, it's Idaho State Police Forensics Crime Lab. Scientists have worked on this case for weeks. So, this is December 1st. Crime happened November 13th. So, it's probably been like, what, two and a half weeks, maybe three? So, they've been working the entire time. Means they found the DNA probably day two. They probably expedited that knife uh, to the Idaho State Lab day one. And first day that they got in their lab, they probably discovered the STR profile or discovered the DNA and created the STR profile. Yeah, this is the first time they talk about it. And they talk about some of the tests that they're doing. Since we remain consistent in our belief that this was a targeted attack, but investigators have not concluded if the target was the residents or the occupants. Like I said, I, I think it was more so the residents. I mean, if it was one of the persons, and you're you're looking at somebody that went through three three people to get to one. it sounds like a lot of rage and there's no evidence of rage, you know, as far as like, there's, there's audio and you don't hear anything being broken. You don't hear any, anybody screaming, you know, you don't hear the sounds of rage. Somebody that mad that's going to go through some, you know, three people to get to one, are they really going to drive around three times before they park? You know, those type of things that just kind of don't, don't make sense with that. To me, I think it was more of a, you know, a thrill type of situation. Detectives believe that the November 12th, two surviving roommates had also been out of Moscow separately, but returned home by 1 a.m. And it's just that the two did not wake up until later that morning. So again, nothing ever says that they've slept through it per se. Here they've cleared some more people. This is the two surviving roommates, the mail to grub truck video, the private party, uh, the mail that Kaylee called numerous times, and any individual at the residence when 911 was called. So it took a while for them to clear those guys. They cleared Jack Decor first and then they cleared everybody that was uh, there at the residence on the 911 call. Well, let me rephrase that. They cleared the roommates first, and then they cleared Jack, and then they cleared, you know, anybody that was there when the 911 call was made. and it just tells you that I mean, this is also December what? 1st, so a couple of weeks later. So like again you know that's how long it took for them to clear those guys do you guys really think that they had you know Brian Koberger on the on the clock here I mean by this time they supposedly had his his vehicle and his number and his and his name and and everything else to investigate him you know for a couple of days now you know at this point they're moving on from just these guys uh, this is going to be on twelve five. This is uh, about four days later. It says there have been statements speculating about the case, victims, injuries, cause of death, evidence, collection, and processing. And the investigative techniques with active criminal investigation, law enforcement has not released additional facts to the family or the public. And like you know, in everything that Christie told me, that the police really weren't telling them anything. You know, they had to hire a private eye and things like that and do their own investigation to get a lot of the information that they know. Uh, we recognize the frustration in this case and the speculation proliferates in the absence of facts. However, we firmly believe speculation and unbated information is a disservice to the victims or families and the community. 100% agree. Detectives continue to investigate what occurred at approximately 9 p.m. on November 12th to 1.45 a.m. November 13th when Ethan Chapman and Xana Pernod were believed to have been at the Sigma Chi House. So this is where I think that the thought of there being a, an actual fight was there. You know, I know that uh, Zana's mother had stated something to the effect that she had she knew or she had been told that there was a fight there uh, between ethan and somebody else and she had to break it up that's possible i mean that's that could be what they're talking about here now i think that when it comes to that all right that 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 could lead to a a motive uh do they have the opportunity the frat persons right because supposedly this was um over ethan making fun of him about uh being on steroids or something like that right so the drug of choice is steroids the um the habit of uh, that he's being accused of displaying his roid rage. Again, there's that word rage. And, and that's the reason why this occurred. So the next one is his means. Did he have the means to commit this crime, which let's figure out, like if he was drunk he was mad, willing to get in fight with a lot of people in front of him uh, and he was roid raging. Was he capable of going into a house, you know, committing the four perfect murders without leaving any DNA behind, do it silently and stealthily, you know, drive a an Elantra or another vehicle that nobody can find anymore around in circles before they get off and display their rage. It's not jiving. It's not making sense. You know what I mean? I get that there may have been an issue there, But just because there was an issue there doesn't mean that that situation turned into a much worse situation. hope that makes sense. So it says using tips and leads, investigators have identified an incident involving Kaylee at a local business, which may have been uh, the stalker reference she made to friends and family. In mid-October, two males were seen inside a local business. They parted ways and one male appeared to follow Kaylee inside the business as she exited to walk toward her car. The male turned away and it did not appear he made contact with her. Detectives contacted both males and learned that the two were attempting to meet women at the business. This was corroborated through additional investigation based on available information. Detectives believe that this is an isolated incident and not an ongoing pattern in stalking. So this is where they've finally cleared that issue. And they still don't have a suspect at this time. Uh, This is where it gets a little bit interesting because this is the first time also. Now, What day is this? This is December 5th. Under investigation timeline, it states, On November 13th, the surviving roommates summoned friends up to the residence, because they believed one of the second floor victims had passed out and was not waking up. At eleven fifty-eight 58 a.m., a 911 call requested aid for an unconscious person. The call was made from one of the surviving roommates' cell phones inside the residence. Multiple people talked with the 911 dispatcher before Moscow police arrived at the location. Officers entered the residence and found two victims on the second floor and two victims on the third. They explain here... You know why it was an uh, unconscious person because who you know the roommates believed one of the second floor victims had passed out, or what I've been told uh, from Christy Gonzalez is that Ethan's best friend is the person that called 911. That they were attempting to make entry through the door, but there was uh it was it was blocked. You know he said that at one point he was able to see you know get his head in and see what happened, and that's when 911 was called. I wouldn't be surprised. If, as he was trying to open the door, you know, somebody wasn't on the phone with 911 saying that we can't get a hold of them. They're not answering the phone, not answering you know, calls. You know, we can't open the door. There's somebody on the on the floor. And that might be why it was an unconscious person, which is crazy. If we go back all the way back to when November, maybe 15th. I think that's what I had exactly said. It was like two or three days after the incident. I said, I feel like maybe perhaps there was something blocking the door and they were able to look underneath and see something. You know, I, I even brought up that. You know, that house was built in the 70s. If you look inside, the flooring uh, had obviously been remodeled and redone. And I would assume that back in the 70s, you probably had more houses that were carpeted. You know, if those were the original doors or were doors when there was carpet, then there's probably a little bit of a gap there between the flooring and the door. And they may have been able to see something of somebody on the floor, maybe not the entire scene, but something. And maybe the door was blocked there. And and that's why I came in as an unconscious person. So it still says here, the Idaho state lab, our forensic lab is still working on the case. This is going to be December 7th. This is the big day. This is the day they bring out and talk about the white Elantra. Moscow police are asking the community's help. Detectives are interested in speaking with the occupants of a white 2011-2013 Hyundai Elantra with an unknown license plate. Tips and leads have led to investigators to look for additional information about a vehicle being in the immediate area of the King Street residence during the early morning hours of November 13th. Again, I don't think they ever limit it to between three and four. N- not here, at least. And so here they show a picture of what a white Elantra looks like, and it says here uh, that below are stock images of a 2011 1300 Elantra. They are not the actual. The a lot of people ask why not use the picture of the Elantra. All right. So this is what four weeks into it. At this point, the videos that they have are probably of a vehicle profile. You're looking at you know ring cam footage and stuff like that that are facing from the front door towards the street, and typically you're going to capture the side profile view of vehicles. Which is why the license plate could be unknown, amongst other reasons other reasons, and why they have limited to a twenty eleven to thirteen Elantra instead of something, you know, all the way up to sixteen. So this is the press release. This is uh, the 7th. Well, fast forward to the 19th. Now, we know on the 19th that the IGG came back based on the New York Times article, Hunt for a Killer, I think is what it was called. It'll say that the IGG results came back December 19th. So this is December 19th. This is what was released that states here that a number of tips and leads have come in as a part of the investigation has hit the 10,000 mark. That's a lot of tips, man. That's a lot of things to go through. You know, I know a lot of folks are are saying that, hey, they they should have found him sooner or they had his name and, and, you know, November 25th, November 29th. Things take time. Progress continues to be made in finding information about the white 2011 or 13 Elantra in the immediate area of the King Road residence during the early morning hours of November 13th. Investigators continue to believe the occupants of this vehicle may have critical information to share regarding this case. At this time, no suspect has been identified. Here on this situation here, I feel that this was prepared either in the morning of the 29th uh, morning of the 19th or in the evening of the 18th, because they have a video.
1: Where are we at with the number of tips that have come in and leads? We've had right around 10,000 tips come in. We're reviewing all those tips.
0: So this was the, this is the YouTube video that coincides with this press break release. And this was uh, for immediate release December 19th. So this was, Either that morning in the morning hours, I believe, because I remember seeing this and going over it. This was early. So I think this is actually before uh O'Brien Koberger's name. I think that that name came throughout sometime in the day of December 19th. One reason why you look hips. Look out, look, look at Fry's face. All right. This is the day before that they find out his name or the day of. in uh, my opinion, I think this is before. We're
1: checking um to ensure that we
0: unmute mute him real quick. Yeah. You know, stress. Look at his eyebrows. Don't look, you know, he looks sad. Like he, he, he looks stressed out to me, looks tired. Look at the bags under his eyes, exhausted. Yeah, let's go to the 20th, just the next day. Look at his eyebrows. Look at that smile that he's trying not to not to come out. And if you hear his voice too. Completion.
1: Uh, we have a lot of resources that we're utilizing, but we still ask for your help. We ask for any tips that you might have, anything that you might be able to give us. Um, we're going to take a look at those, but be assured that, uh... you
0: yeah, know, he looks, he looks relieved. The bags aren't there. Look at, look at that. Look at the bags are starting to go away. This is just one day. You know, a lot of people say that, you know, it was earlier on, but when you have this, you know, you can see literally on this guy's face that from the 19th to the 20th, he's different. The reports come in that on the 19th at some time throughout the day is when they got the name Brian Koberger from the IGG. And then you have the airmail article that talks about how on this day, you know, that he had a pregnant smile on his face. You can see it. It's it's this is when they knew who he was. This is when they knew. All right. So this whole thing about them hiding a witness, I mean, is is there witnesses that they don't want, you know, the prosecution doesn't want the, you know, the public to know about yet? Probably, you know, I can know of at least probably two that are, I know of two that are, are they, are they individuals that, Identified him before his arrest? I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think that the information they had were before they got his name. I think the information they had on Mr. Koberger was after December 20th. Here's the next day, the 20th, and this is when they say that they're aware of the Hyundai Elantra located in Eugene, Oregon and have spoken with the owner. The vehicle was not involved or the vehicle was involved in a collision and subsequently impounded. The vehicle was registered out of Colorado. And the female owner is not believed to have any relation to any property in Moscow, Idaho, or the ongoing murder investigation. The public is asked to stop contacting the owner. Wow. I remember that. I remember that. Yeah. And apparently it had nothing to do with it. And what they did was they, the vehicle was impounded and there was a VIN that they checked and it, it wasn't the vehicle that they were looking for. And it was impounded, didn't come back to the vehicle. Now, they didn't know who killed the, you know, the, the students there and they, it was still up in the air. Why would knowing you know, who the vehicle was registered to make a difference? The only reason that would make a difference is if they knew that the person that committed this crime, they knew who that person was and they knew where or how or, or if the vehicle in question was registered to them. Right? So if they already knew that, you know, who that vehicle was so and it came back to somebody in Colorado, it's not the same vehicle they're looking for. All right. So this goes back to when they found out who he was. But yeah, you can see the 19th. This is the 16th. Students are returning home. Look at that face.
1: Does that present challenges for the investigation? I think it's always a little bit of a challenge. Um, We went through this, you know, right after uh, Thanksgiving and all that, but uh, we have investigators all across the nation. We have investigators all across the state with the state police and the FBI. So we'll adapt to that and we'll continue to do our investigation. See, me, in my
0: opinion, I don't think that they knew that it was a 2014-16 Elantra also until after they got Brian Koberger's name. The reason being is the, the trip that he took, right? He took this long trip back to Pullman. And in my opinion, that was in efforts to elude. Uh, The video surveillance investigation that would have been uh, conducted to determine if the vehicle that was involved in the homicide had traveled towards Pullman immediately after the homicide at 420. So, you would expect to have seen that vehicle entering Pullman sometime around 430 to 445. You know, you wouldn't expect to see it at 536. And, you know, given the amount of information and the amount of tips and the amount of limited resources they had to cover all those things, if you didn't see that vehicle pass by within a specific amount of time, I would assume that these uh, police officers probably you know, went on about saying that it probably did not go in this direction. Now, once they got his name from the IGG, they opened up the warrants that they had when it came to the cell towers uh, to see if they could find his phone. And sure enough, it's there. And sure enough, it disconnects at, at 247, then reconnects at 448. So with that, that's enough to go get his locations. You find out that he's criminology student and he has the specific training to, you know, that would give somebody the ability to elude the investigation. You see how well, you know, the person that committed this crime eluded the investigation. So those things jive, you know, so you get these warrants and each one of these warrants just start checking more boxes. Boom, boom, boom. It didn't take very long from the time that they got his name to the time they arrested him and they still had to find him. Right. So, you know, they got his name December 19th. Where was he at? He was in the Pocono Mountains. They didn't know where he was at. You know, they had to go and rely on, and it says in the probable cause affidavit, uh, on Colorado license plate readers and two two stops by Indiana law enforcement agencies uh, to determine that that's the direction he was heading and he was going home. You know, they they talk about that they were out there. I want to say the twenty fourth, twenty third, somewhere around there, and they were watching him. And then they ended up taking, you know, a sample of trash or trash from his parents' house in the twenty seventh, rushed it back to Idaho and got a. Got a positive match on the twenty eighth. Rested him on the 29th. You know, had they not, you know, had he been in in Moscow, Idaho, you know, December nineteenth, you're looking at five days between the nineteenth or between the nineteenth, yeah, and the twenty fourth when they finally made it to the Pocono Mountains. So you're looking at five days faster. So you're probably looking at him getting arrested right around Christmas Eve. It didn't take very long. There was a lot of evidence there to to point at him. Sometimes you just need to find the person. And once you do, you can work backwards and there there comes the the evidence. Fortunately for law enforcement, you know, this crime was committed in an hour when there's not usually a lot of activity out. You're not seeing a lot of vehicles driving around, things like that. And so you can identify a vehicle and follow their movements and stuff like that during this time. I hope all that made sense
1: first start by
2: explaining why this search for this white vehicle.
1: So we have uh, um, information of a white vehicle that was in the area, um, either during the time frame of the homicide or around the time frame of the homicide, and we are just wanting to talk to the individuals who are in that vehicle. Uh, they may have some valuable information for us. And we're looking for a 2011 to a 2013 Hyundai Elantra. So any assistance you can give us, um, anybody that owns one, anybody that knows of someone who owns one or may have been driving one, if you could get a hold of us uh, through our tip line or um, call us directly, um, we'd appreciate that. This body cam image and the white car. Is this the white car investigators are looking for? So the body cam image that um, is out there from an officer who was on a call with alcohol alcoholic fence does have a white vehicle in it. This is not the vehicle that we are looking for. Um, so we want to clear that up with uh, all news media.
2: And finally, the tip line, the process, what do you want to tell the public about that?
1: So the tip line now will go to an FBI call center. We've done that because uh, we started receiving many, many uh, tips and that call center can categorize those and they can send those tips back to investigators so we can follow up and make sure that we um, continue with our investigation.
0: They have had a lot of tips coming in and they're having to put it through the FBI's, they got a phone system right? a call center system that you can go through and, and talk about what tip you have and it'll categorize it for them, make it a little bit more efficient. But that's how many tips they have on December 8th. I know that a lot of people, and this goes back to when they found Koberger or thought Koberger was a, uh, a suspect they got the information on November 25th and it took them four days to go out there and find the car or they've, they located his name on November 25th and it took four days for them to go locate the car. What that tells me is that Koberger's car was one of many vehicles that they were out there looking at and that they were jotting down. The reason why we don't know that it was the 45th Elantra of the, 190 elantras that they may have found in that vicinity is because those other 194 elantras those people that own it or are driving it aren't on trial the probable cause affidavit is strictly for brian koberger and only him alone so all that information about who else they investigated and and came up with nothing is never going to reach the light of day
1: take us back when investigators first started asking for video what sources were you asking to get video from
2: well, we started looking for video the day of the crime officers on scene before i even arrived had identified certain residences in the area that had video cameras we know just from past experience that security cameras doorbell cameras and the like are very very commonplace now and that's a part of our standard procedures to start looking for a possible video source in and around crime scenes so we started the day of the crime and then that expanded as we got more investigators to the area for assistance and we started putting together teams and one of our team's sole job was to go through the king road area associated neighborhoods, and eventually the main thoroughfares in the city of Moscow trying to identify uh, videos, uh, video cameras, et cetera, and then contact those business owners, contact those residents.
0: So right there on, on this day, December 15th, they're talking about the video surveillance cameras or the video surveillance tapes that they have to this point. None of it has expanded outside of, of Moscow, Idaho at this point. You know, they talked about that there was the, that area and then they expanded it out a little bit more and then a little bit more. And now it's basically through all the thoroughways through Moscow, Idaho, December 15th. So just kind of tell you how slow those things were going. So when the probable cause affidavit says that they you know located the vehicle on, the December, on November 25th or they found the vehicle in the, on the logs on 25th located on the 29th. Uh, and then that they were given access to WSU um, camera footage and that it shows this car doing this, it doesn't say what date and time that that occurred or how much time it passed between the time of November 29th and the time that they did those things. You know, I can positively probably say that we can deduce that they hadn't looked at the WCU tapes yet
2: as of December 15th, based on what he just said. And ask for copies of that video. Initially, there was a particular area outlined as where the priority was asking for video. Why was that area selected? Well, that area was selected because essentially it surrounds the the King Road area. And we know that people typically have to travel to and from. We weren't trying to pigeonhole our investigation into the suspect lives in the area. We wanted to make sure that we covered all the bases. And so as we began to gather more information, we began to expand our our search area. You may recall from the second uh, press conference that we specifically put out a plea to the public for any video in the King Road area, and then we gave a defined area, and we put that area on our website as well, asking residents, hey, if you have video, or if your neighbor has video, let us know so we can get a copy of that. We understand that video has a finite life, and sometimes systems will start recording over themselves. So we started that process very, very early in the investigation. Why ask the public for additional help with this white car? Well, through our tips, through our leads, some of the evidence that came in, We start to identify patterns. And like we said earlier, we are confident that the occupant or occupants of that vehicle have information that's critical to to this investigation.
0: Occupant or occupants. They really don't know how many people were in their vehicle at this time. They can't probably specify whether it was one or more at this time. Now they have probably, you know, one source of DNA on the knife sheath and, you know, they got to go back and retract things. And then, you know, once they get the, a name for that person and you go back and you follow where that person was that day up until the point where they turned their phone off and you can see their their locations. You know I know everybody's saying that the, you know, the triangulation is 27 mile radius, this, that. They're going to use the GPS locations that that triangulation stuff was just to get the warrant so that they can use or gather the GPS stuff so they can know exactly where he was you know what they were doing with the cameras and the triangulation was just corroborating the fact that triangulation said he was here cameras pointed out showed him was that he was here so this is why we believe that this is accurate enough to determine that he was here 12 times we want to get warrants for his actual locations so that way we can determine that it was indeed him you know those 12 times that night the whole nine yards right so with that being said before they knew who he was before they can watch him on tape uh, they probably had no idea how many people were in that car
2: We also understand that even though there's sometimes a fascination with a particular case, some people simply don't see the news and may not know that we're looking for it. So if we get the word out there, hey, maybe your neighbor has one in the garage that they don't drive very often. Maybe um, there's one that's just not on the registration database. Let us know. So far, we have a a list of approximately 22,000 registered white Hyundai Elantras that fit into our uh, criteria that we're sorting through. That's, a, that's an awful lot of information, but it may not be all of them. So the public can help us with that.
0: Yeah, they sure can. And they sure did with a bunch of stuff.